Finney Clowder. Back at it this week. Is it an unfortunate loss against Richmond? Post-match emotions, boys. How did we see this? Initially, I'm going to ask you straight after the game, Zach, Oh, Rich, all you boys with me, the Fab Four tonight, your post-game analysis and your post-game emotions versus now when we're recording, given that we're recording days after the match. Zach. It's the same for me. I bloody hate losing. Hate especially Richmond, Hawthorne, people like that. But it's another game that we could have won, really. We had our chances. We played well. We'll get into that later on. But I sit here the same. We we played well, showed a lot of glimpses, but it's a game that we could have won and we didn't. So, Oh? Yeah. I mean, nothing nothing really but, um, you know, the obvious disappointment that, that each of us is feeling. Um, it's It's a case of... I feel like Geelong, yeah, could well have won that game, and they um they lost it rather than than Richmond winning it in some some cases. Now, for me, at the very end of the match, I yeah that that last two minutes was had everything in it, <laughs> as we've seen in the last month of football from the Cats, whether it be Western Bulldogs or Melbourne, and now you know Richmond at the MCG and Friday night. At the end, I was. Yeah, pretty gutted. The cats didn't get over the line. I was messaging a fellow Clatterite, and I was a bit down in the dumps at the time, saying, well, if we lose to Hawthorne, all right, finals chance is over. And that Clatter, being rich, said, why we lose to Hawthorne? I then replied back saying, well, if you lose any of the next three, we're not going to make the eight. Rich, you said, why would we lose any of the next three? Exactly. Your post-match reactions, Rich. Well, I got to, at three-quarter time. I, my dad and I said, if we if we can, you know, win this quarter and get within, be within. I think we we're down twenty-one points at three-quarter time. If we could be within twenty points at the end of the game, we would. We we said we'd be happy, and you know, we we nearly won the game. So we we're obviously disappointed that we we didn't get get the four points and beat beat Richmond's streak at the G. But I really thought I was really really proud and happy with the performance because you know I think. Everyone in Geelong now knows that we can beat Richmond, and I think the rest of the competition might see that they're beatable. But I think um, I was the same as I am now. I was ups- I was disappointed, but I took a lot out of that game, and I was really proud that we were able to, you know, roll over Richmond in that last quarter and really come back. And we should have won the game. You know, it came down to that last kick from Gary, which you know could have gone either way. So, I mean, we we spoke after the game, obviously, and I was still pretty. Mm-hmm pretty happy with the result yeah yeah and it it, it definitely helped me uh, viewing the match straight <laughs> afterwards as well but we won't we won't rosy up our, our performance and and make it all incredible like we we outplayed them which we definitely didn't no, I didn't think uh, we, we played very well for large portions of the game yeah yeah we'll, we'll try to provide it an objective analysis as we always do so starting off from that I guess how did Geelong go in terms of the errors on the weekend. I'll, I'll pose some questions here. Potential overhandballing on the weekend, did we see? I think the game plan was we've got to take, we've got to all out attack. You know, it's Richmond. You're not going to beat them by defending. So we definitely took risks going through the corridor, handballing, handballing. I think, you know, large portions of the game we were scoring and getting at that out the back, um, especially watching live, you, just all that space because Richmond's press is so high. You, the, really, the only way to get out is to kick it out. And I think 
we actually had a lot of leg speed I found you know, watching live and it was really good to see guys like even Hawkins and just that long kick bringing it to ground and then you've got Menzel and you've got Tim Kelly and you know that that whole um, I suppose line of midfielders coming through Mitch Duncan Guthrie kicked that goal in the last quarter we saw Thurlow turn the ball over in the last quarter uh, Thurlow turn the ball over in the last quarter but you know that was the theme for the game it was a terrible error but it was just a positive way to play the game, and I think that's the kind of football that's going to beat uh, the likes of Richmond come the point at the end of the season. Yeah, well, I guess we'll get more into the the individual performances analysis as we always do. But Geelong again as a whole, their match on the weekend: two hundred and four handballs against one hundred and fourteen Richmond handballs on the weekend. Did we overuse? the ball by handling in our defensive half, Zach, on the weekend? Or was that the way to go about it? I think it was the way to go about it. And I agree on the whole with what Rich said. I, I reckon this game, in a way, could be nearly a catalyst for Richmond's demise, or what I hope will be their demise. Um, <laughs> because I, th- I think before the teams Richmond have played, either the opposition haven't had the skill around Geelong, GWS, maybe Essendon when they're at their best. They're probably one of the few teams that can play this sort of footy and actually challenge Richmond. So I'm happy with the way Geelong played. It's a high-risk, high-reward game. The Thurlow one didn't work, but you can see what they were doing, and they came bloody close. The intent was there, yeah. Oh, the Thurlow, again, we'll we'll talk about Jackson Thurlow and other players and that incident when we get to individual performances. But I guess that, that corridor play, as you're saying, Zach, that that was Thurlow's intention to kick it through the corridor to an open space. Did we see enough of that on the weekend when that was the game plan that we ultimately wanted to execute? Oh, 214 handballs. And a lot of those handballs in our defensive half when was some, at sometimes a a quick kick, 40 meter kick to gain territory needed. Uh, I for one think that we overused handballs. Yes. What's your opinion? Uh, the um, the quick kick, quick kick forward. It is a a you know a popular tactic used by Richmond, who then use their mosquito fleet, their speed all over the ground, to close down any space or to mm. to uh, chase the ball when it's in space, and um, then lock it in to. You know their defense uh, into their attacking fifty. Geelong, you know, tries to kick to space or tries to kick to the advantage of um, their forwards and and tries that that rushed kick forward, which is sometimes because you are under this perceived pressure. You know, it's a it's the only option. It's the only way out. So um, you you try and do it, but. Um, to to Richmond's credit, they're able to somehow pressure the Geelong players into kicking the wrong side mm. or not to the advantage of the, of the forwards. So if it's you know if it's uh, Hawkins and Rance, for instance, in a one on one, you know if the kick isn't to the advantage of Hawkins, then it's or if it's a 50-50 or it's to you know it's a rushed kick forward and it's to the advantage of of Rance. All Rance has to do is keep his feet. I would think, hmm. and well, you know, usher the ball to the boundary line, and he's done his job. And the commentators think he's a genius. Yeah. You've, you've That's named, the way of a defender, though. You've named there some interesting points regarding perceived pressure and regarding Hawkins in the forward line. 
my next question then is the tackle department will be will be 92 to 73 which i would have expected coming in against richmond the perceived pressure the tackling around the ball is just immense but from that our approach from getting out of our defensive 50 Richmond had 68 inside 50s against our 45. Now, Rich is was the the percentage kick down the line, which ended up being resulting in repeated Richmond inside 50s, repeated repeated inside 50s. Not the way to go. At times we turned it on in the fourth quarter. Did we need to do it for four quarters? That corridor play. Well, that's the thing. I think if anyone had a clear-cut answer, Richmond wouldn't be that, that benchmark of the competition at the moment. I mean, they're just experts at getting winning the ball and locking it inside that forward half. And I think, um, I, I agree, if you're going to play you know, footy, you've got to do the same thing for four quarters. We probably only, pl- we only, probably only got um, going for, the, for two of those quarters, I, I, I think. Um, but it took two quarters and we nearly, nearly beat them. So... I think that's the right way to go. I'm not sure going forward when Richmond get a few plays back um, how we'll go with that kind of game plan. But I think definitely um, their pressure around the ball is just immense. And watching it live, I haven't seen. I used to watch Richmond play quite a bit, and I haven't seen them play too much live in in this little era they've got going. And they were excellent, and um, we did extremely well to to score as much as we did. I thought on the weekend. Mm. Zach, your thoughts? We've mentioned there potential overhandballing, some maybe some disagreements between us and the cloud department, uh, corridor play, exiting forward fifty, tackling pressure. Uh, just some of your thoughts on that and corridor play, and did we use enough of the corridor play? I, I just think before this game, if you look back to the two previous times we played Richmond, played them earlier in the year, didn't quite get us close final last year, we know what happened. So I think they had to do something different. If they had have come in and played the same way, the result would have been the same. So you had to change it up. And like I said, I think this showed Richmond aren't this, you know, unbeatable force. They're not like the Essendon team of 2000 or Geelong in 07, 08, even Collingwood in 2010. They're beatable. Mm. And I'm absolutely adamant that this is the style to do it. Essendon play Richmond in two weeks. I reckon they play an aggressive style anyway. I'll back yeah. Essendon to beat Richmond in two weeks. Yeah, and using using the using this game plan maybe with a couple of little tweaks because they've got different players and such. Yeah, I would back Essendon in. I think they can really yeah. expose Richmond. Yeah, I thought it's Chris the, uh, Scott's uh, post match comments. Some of that was really really epitomised exactly what he's saying. And I said, he and said if, uh, yeah, they're beatable. Yeah, and, if, and yeah, I love I love that. Um, I love those two pref- press conferences after the game. Chris Scott mm. was you know obviously <laughs> burning from the loss and. Damien Hardwick was pretty, I think, pretty relieved, and he was biting mm. back at all of what everything Chris Scott said. So I thought it was quite um, uh, humorous, really. <laughs> well, we, you may be in some slight disagreements there, but ultimately, you, you cannot dispute that there's positives to take out of this match. Last last time we played them six weeks ago, we were beaten by three goals. We've now shaved that to three point margin where if things went in our way in the last minute and a half, we could be talking a, a totally different story here. Mm. Why aren't they beatable? Mm. They're not, they are beatable. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the old Arnie Schwarzenegger quote from the 
predator movies you know if it bleeds we can kill it and i think we showed the competition i think we showed the competition that it bleeds the only the only unbeatable team of all time was geelong 2008 and we all know what happened at the end of the year yeah apparently unbeatable exactly <laughs> well, I think there's similarities between us in 08 and richmond now not not the win loss ratio but again the way that they're perceived exactly I think 2008 showed regardless of how good your home and away season is regardless of how good your team is. If you don't get it right on that one day, the rest is irrelevant. Mm. Mm. I thought that the game structure, uh, we heard Chris Scott before the match saying we don't want to overhandball. So whether we see overhandballing in the match, that's not reflected by the coach. So effectively, the tactics that we're implemented being the corridor play that were executed well at times work to our advantage. Why can't we learn from that and execute it even better next time and beat them next time? Huge positives. And you look back to 2008 again when we just beat Hawthorne in the middle of the year by about two goals. And a lot of the Hawthorne players say they took so much out of that game Mm. could work in the exact reverse option for us or possibly someone else. Mm. Mm. Exactly. And and going on from these, these positives, I guess we'll move in a bit to the individual performances now. The... Uh, elite or the the really good performances from some of our players. We'll, we'll briefly touch on these. First up, man of the match for me uh, on the weekend, Tim Kelly. Uh, immense match. To all. I thought oh, it was just crazy. has to yeah has to be has to be Tim Kelly. Uh, yeah, really. Um, the commentators, particularly Bruce, were you know glowing in um in their in their praise because it was the the one time I think that he really proved that he is an elite footballer on the big stage. Mm. He's such yeah. a classy footballer. He is just what a footballer is, um, skills-wise and just cleanliness with his hands. It's just, I can't think of many, many, you know, pure footballers in the competition right now like like Tim Kelly. 36 disposals for TK in the weekend. He's been averaging around 22, 23 for the season so far. 16 contested possessions. Is that his best match for us in the blue and the white hoops this season, Zach? I'd say so, considering the the match and the opponent and what was on the line. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. probably his best individual performance for sure. The other ones, again, we raise these every single week. The the usuals, the, the Dangerwood, Dangerfield, <laughs> 39 disposals, 21 contested possessions, 8 clearances. Joel Selwood... Captain Courageous, 37 disposals, 22 contested possessions, nine clearance, nine one percenters. Again, elite, as always. Just We've become accustomed to these standard performances, haven't we? Yeah, for, for uh, Dangerwood, it's yeah, it's standard procedure. The, the other two that I really thought stood out rich were um, Mitch Duncan on the weekend. Oh, he was incredible. Racked up a, a large amount of the pill, 33 disposals, 15 of those contested possessions, and six clearances, and, and, and on top of that, there was a, a real solid five inside 50s, uh, one of our, our most quality inside 50 getter on the weekend. His role this season slightly changed, almost being a, uh, a linchpin between halfback or defence and, and a wing. the centre. Yeah. Yes, and the wing. His disposal efficiency only came up as 63.6%, but watching him live, his kicking, in the, especially in the first half, was 
like when the game was really hot and we weren't going too well. Mitch Duncan was just absolutely incredible by foot. I don't. He was just. He wasn't blazing away bombing. He'd just go that short kind of thirty meter kick, even if it was down the line. He was just hitting up targets. Like he was the only mm. one, only player on the side in the side at that time who was able to really compose himself and just slow that game down and try to um, just you know slow the game down as a whole. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it was really, it was yeah, it was really good to see like just him taking that kind of you know he might be the next captain of Geelong. Mm. Would you rate him as the best kick in our side? Um, Tim oh, Kelly probably is his only rival, so yeah, I probably would rate rate him as uh, if if he's not the best, equal best. I'd say Zach Tui and, and Mitch Duncan. Yeah, you heard you heard Hawkins uh, last week saying there's a question raised him effectively asking who who would you like it laced out to you inside Ford fifty, and he said Mitch Duncan. So I think that speaks for itself. Another one for me on the weekend, Sam Menegola. 29 disposals, 20 contested. He really stood up for me in the weekend, and, and he used the ball really, really well, around 72, 73 disposal efficiency, which is, is really, really good for Sam, a player that we can see, obviously, can do it at half forward or in the centre or he, in, he, a real he utility hit, player. Hits the scoreboard too, which is really important yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that that booming booming goal late got us um got us back in the in the swing of things or got us. Uh, was that one where um, Hawkins effectively shielded? Yeah, it? shielded yeah. it through, and it was yeah. I think it was a you know fifty five mm. fifty five meter kick, and he's he's capable of doing that, so he's he's dangerous from beyond the arc. That goal was yeah, incredible. Two goals, one <laughs> His reaction off the boot, I thought he'd missed it because he didn't really get up and about. He was kind of. Looked like it had missed, and then when it went through, it was absolutely, oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, I think I think it was uh, I think it was initially swinging out and then swung back. Yeah, and um, you know, j- just got through in the end, or right on the line, and that's why Hawkins was there to to shepherd it through. But yeah, brilliant kick, and you know, really um, upped the up the intensity and up the energy. For us, late in that what, last quarter. What did you guys think of Gaz? I thought Gaz was, you know, he got a got a pretty rough, you know, obviously missed missed that shot in the last quarter, but um, he got it pretty rough. I thought he played pretty well. It wasn't best on ground in that in that top echelon, but I thought he was pretty solid for a 34 year old. I think I think I messaged you at, at quarter time when he had had three or four disposals and yeah. saying not his finest game so far. And then second quarter, he picks up nine disposals. <laughs> and he... oh, we've said it before, haven't we? Doubt him at your own peril. But looking at his heat map here, he got 64% of his disposals in the defensive half. So I reckon he's covering the ground perhaps a little bit more than, than what he did before. And all the emphasis is on that one kick. I go back to the Dan Menzel one in the first quarter, 10 metres out. If he kicks that, we wouldn't be having that discussion about Ablett's missed shots. Oh, jeez, um, yeah. I think there are a lot more simpler ones for designated forwards, which Ablett isn't. He's not a standalone forward. Mm. If we kick those simpler ones, again, we wouldn't be having this discussion. That was a vintage but mental dis- um, performance on the weekend, though. I think that was his best game, obviously, back from his injury. He um, you know, kicked the three goals, and that's yeah. a vintage Daniel Menzel performance. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It- 
Three goals, 11 disposals. You can't really make an argument against Town at all, can you? He needs to kick... He, uh, he 100%, 100% has to kick three or more a game, though, I think, come finals time for us to be yeah. at our best. Yeah, and I need, I, I want to see his pressure up Definitely. in finals as well. To yeah. Just, just uh, because I find that, you know, if... It goes to another level in finals, and if you're not for it or you're not quite doing everything that needs to be done, you will get exposed. Well, he only he only he only had zero tackles in one though only the one uh, one percenter. So he yeah. definitely definitely there's definitely room for improvement. Obviously, tackles number of tackles aren't an issue for me with Dan. If he registers zero zero tackles, that's not an issue for me at all. I think what we what maybe Ol's sentiments really speak to are uh, uh, applying pressure, pressure or perceived yeah. pressure. And that's yeah. what we saw on the weekend. He nearly did chase, pin chase, was it chase, chase. down to the wing, ended yeah. up pushing him to the end, gave away that free. But it, it, last week, I think he applied two tackles and, and some of those were inside 50. So it, it's what, regardless of whether you lay a tackle or not, it, it's the constant harassing of defenders that can lead to effectively... Unforced errors. You can apply pressure besides tackling. There's lots mm. of other stuff you can do. Perceived pressure, like you said. Yeah. They don't release. The they don't release. Yeah, they don't release half the pressure stats anyway, do they? No. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, just with the pressure, pressure stuff. Like they don't record chases and um, corrals, like you said. And there's just there's about uh, in our footy team alone, in you know local level, there was about ten different kind of pressure stats we take, because that's you know what you know footy's all about these days really that's where all the good mm. stuff's based off yeah finally before we we put together a potential bottom six um similar to what we we've done our, our written analysis up on the facebook page some notable mentions for the weekend ryan the rock rabbit uh a, a good display from him i thought yeah. 27 hit outs two goals you can't really fault him against the best team in the competition, can you? Played with grit, played with passion, played the way the you know the the way that we want to see the game played. They're going to make a hard call this week with Stanley supposedly ready to come back. I think Stanley, if he's fit, straight Stanley back. Stanley plays, but I think surely it'd be a really harsh call on his part if he was dropped. But Rock Rabbit can't play centre half forward. He's no, not that. He's, he's, that, he's an out and out be, tap Ruckman. So that's what works against him. Yeah, I think. I think the tough call is is you know where does this leave uh, Zach Smith? Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Last chance saloon, isn't it? Yeah, it's mm. probably. Rich, how do you see the uh, the Rock's performance on the weekend, Rock Abbott? I thought he was fantastic for you know first gamer. You wouldn't have known he was a first gamer. Um, and, and you know, playing key position ruck, like he had ten touches around the ground. Um, he did all the hard stuff. You know, had five five one percenters, seven tackles. Um, I thought the best part, uh, the best, um, you know, the highlight of that game was probably on the half forward flank in that. I think it was the third quarter when Nankervis really went after him, and he did not take a backwards step. And just, I think we have a photo of that up on the page now. So, um. Just, yeah, we do. I just think, we yeah, do. Uh, I just yeah. think his, um, his, yeah, the grit and that that uh, bit of mongrel that he's got about him is really, really positive going forward. I know he's twenty seven this year, so Zach, is it certain? We're making a presumption here, maybe. 
But we've seen this with Ryan Abbott in the weekend. First game, MCG Friday night against Richmond. In a home and away season, no bigger stage than can be. Yeah. Tom Stewart, mature age footballer, comes in from South Bowen, lower leagues in the in the GFL, similar to Rock Abbott in the DFL, playing for Grovedale. Yep. Similar again to even Tom Ruggles, I'll be he was yeah. delisted. A player that showed grit at times. Yeah. These local league players and, and potentially mature age players around the local leagues. Uh, like Stephen Wells has shown, that really provide the grit around the team. Oh, for sure. I reckon the local leads are a real untapped resource, and Geelong are in such a unique position where, where there's such a big talent pool in the the local area. And, I mean, you'd, you'd back them in. I mean, anyone, you know, Tom Stewart, Matthew Scarlett was his mentor, so, I mean, you'd, you'd back that in for sure. So mm. I don't see why we shouldn't be exploring local leagues if you do have mature guys that are ready to go and if they have what it takes and tick all the boxes, why not? Yeah, they they you know, they breed them tough. It's a, it's country footy is uh rugged. Mm. And you need those gritty players. And you know, perhaps uh you know the Vic, the Vic country types don't necessarily have the skills of the Metro boys or the silk that they do, but they'll you know they'll play with but if you if you can Just balance it time. out with that, yeah. those silky players, but then also those tougher, gritty players, maybe not quite as flashy, but you know what you're gonna get. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of these um, yeah, hundred percent predictable types because they just deliver the same sort of thing each each week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Against Richmond, what shows against Richmond really is a twenty-two versus a twenty-two. Are individual standout players? I think we had. Four players from the match that had more disposals than any of Richmond players. The top disposal getter being Kane Lambert with 31 disposals. The next was Dustin Martin below Sam Menengola on 26. Richmond's bottom six just shows the game. They don't rely on elite performers. We've talked about the potential disparity of elite top performers at Geelong being the Dangerfield, Selwood, likes of these, Gary Ablett, so on, Mitch Duncan against uh, a bottom six. And the positives are that generally the, the players that we name in the bottom six are extremely, extremely young. So this follows on to create a, a bottom six category from the weekend as as we've, we've outlined and I've written, written analysis on our, our Facebook page. And I think this is always the part that we hate doing on the podcast, to be honest, because they a lot of the time they end up being young kids that are only going to get better. Uh, so we don't really want to spend – I don't want to spend too much time pointing yeah. out errors where really there's room for improvement. But if we are and we want to objectively analyse the match and, and develop a bottom six, I'll throw some names out there for you. Um, Jackson Thurlow. Get get over that one turnover. I think apart from that, he he showed he showed good signs, and I'd play him again next week. You'd I think he should have come again. in weeks ago. Yeah. You're you're definitely a um a supporter or a um yeah. And yeah, I and you, I think before Jackson we move Dillon. on, touching on Rome's point, I think the difference between Geelong and Richmond at the moment, you know, the old adage, it should be a champion team, not a team of champions, and that's probably the difference between a Richmond and a Geelong at the moment. Mm-hmm. 11 tackles for Thurlow on the weekend, 54.5% disposal efficiency and two clangers. Rich 
did he reach a bottom six for you? Yeah, just he with, wasn't he wasn't re- bad. Regardless of that of that final moment kick as well. well. Yeah, without that, he probably just in the bottom. He's probably just in that bottom six. I mean, he didn't play badly. Um, he had three inside fifties, but obviously you've got to pick if it's got to be a six. That's still you know nearly a third of the team. So he was probably that. It definitely would have been in that bottom six, just in terms of impact on the game and. Um. Yeah, he wasn't doing the kind of work um, Lockie Henderson and Jack Henry were doing at their ends of the ground. Again, young players listed in a bottom six potential category. Lockie Fogarty, 11 disposals, seven of those being handballs. Did did he reach a, a, a bottom six category in the weekend? Yeah, being... Do you feel like sometimes yeah. he... Yeah do, you, yeah, do you feel like sometimes he's a um, little bit overawed by the, the big stage at the moment? A little bit of... um. Deer in the headlights. I don't think as much as, you know, Simpson and Zach Guthrie before him. I think he handles himself better. Keep playing him. Generally, I do think that that Fogarty will, yeah, improve, but it'll just take time. Would he potentially be under more spotlight, Rich, if he wasn't surrounded by the likes of Dangerfield, Selwood, Mitch Duncan, Sam Managola, Gary Ablett, just quality midfielders, if he was playing for a, 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 a subpar team? Um, can I name a, a bottom three team there? <laughs> would, would there be a, a, a bit more highlighted regarding his performances? Yeah, well, it's hard to say. I think you know he's playing a role in in Geelong's team. He's playing a you know a hard position, which is in that forward six. He's, he's probably there to put pressure on, and he's not really kicking goals. So I, I just assume he'd be there for those you know to put pressure on. And he's probably hasn't had too much. Um, you know, I think he had the three tackles on the weekend. So it's a tough position for a young bloke like him. If he was playing in a bottom three club, I, I'd, you know, dare say he'd be playing a more half forward kind of midfield position where he's, you know, in a more attacking mindset. Um, but in this Geelong team, obviously he can't, we can't all be attacking. We um, have to have some cogs in the machine and I think he's definitely just playing his role and I think he's doing it okay. Um, there's a whole bunch of players though that could probably potentially fill that hole right now. So it's just the learning progress, and yeah, he's got to take a lot out of a game like that from the weekend. Mm-hmm. It's a tough question to answer, and it's also a tough question to ask for me because I disagree <laughs> with the question that I'm asking. <laughs> a first year player, yeah, I yeah, I, I, I don't want much. to look it, as long as he provides effort. Whether it be attacking pressure, um, you can't fault his his skill set in the weekend going around eighty two percent disposal efficiency. So a first year player that we brought in as our, our first pick in the draft, mm-hmm. you can only back him in and support him. But Zach, lucky Fogarty for you on the, the weekend. Yeah, well I'm just looking at his profile now. He's only played fourteen games, averages thirteen point nine touches a game, sixty seven percent disposal efficiency. Good spread of his sixty percent of his time so far. Season forward half, forty percent in defence. So, I think at times maybe we are a little bit unrealistic about what we're expecting of him. But I, I reckon he's tracking okay. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And I do, I do yeah. find myself, um, you know, uh, really supportive or cheering whenever I see him um, laying a tackle or really putting mm-hmm. some um, some heat on the opposition. Another. One of my 
my favourite youngsters here, <laughs> uh, JJ, Jermaine Jones. Some moments of brilliance on the weekend, four tackles and some really strong ones. He caught Nick Vlosten just near the goal square. If Vlosten had dropped that ball or he had just... He could have got holding the ball. I could, we could have well have thought that, that could have been holding the ball mm. anyway. It was another amazing strong tackle on the wing. That's We called him the Energizer Bunny <laughs> on this podcast and on many of our posts. I love the kid. I love him. He, he has to play every week for me. But seven disposals, four of those handballs in the weekend. He did have those four tackles, but does he reach a bottom six? I don't think so. I reckon it's that. I'd almost forget disposals for him. It's all about his tackle and pressure. You speak about what Menzel should aspire to, something along those lines. If he keeps laying that pressure, kick a goal or two, get a couple of touches, um, I think there were there were worse. I'd have him in the bottom six only because I find it, I'd struggle to find some another you know another six to put below him. Jed, Jed Beers finished the match. Obviously, defence disposals don't mean anything at all. <laughs> but having said that, uh, nine disposals, six of those handballs, five clangers to those nine disposals, uh, only the one one percenter on the weekend. Bottom six category for Beersy. I think so. Unfortunately, he clangers just did. He particularly in the game, couldn't find his way into the game. I didn't. I found. Um, yeah. Yeah, turnovers and clangers really hurt us. Yeah. Mm. He led. He led the ground, I think, or maybe Tim. Uh, someone with you know, I think Tim Kelly might have had more clangers, but with low possession game, I think having five clangers is, um, yeah, quite quite a lot out of you know to have more than fifty percent of your kicks turned over. Mm. Another one that I hate to bring up, along with the likes of Lockie Fogarty and Jermaine Jones for a potential bottom six category. Jordan Cunico on the weekend, 16 disposals, eight of those handballs, 68, uh, 68.8% disposal efficiency. On top, of, on top of that, only really a few tackles, one Just tackle. One tackle, yeah. Um, I hate this segment, bro. Six. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. We, we all hate it. I hate it because oh, I, I, uh, I don't want to name anyone. <laughs> Yeah, the harsh the harsh calls have to be made. Um, you know, and we, someone we, has to end up in the bottom six. We don't want undue calls. We don't want to criticise these young players. But if we do want to provide an objective analysis, post match analysis, statistically, then you know he has to he has to feature. Lockie Henderson for me was actually one of my top ones to end up in the bottom six. Played a large portion of the match on Jack Reid. Oh, landed up with four goals one. Purely for that factor and the fact that Hendo of last few weeks amassing 16 1%ers, 18 1%ers, finished the match with 8 1%ers, 66% disposal efficiency. I didn't think he had a great game the weekend. He he stepped up in the second half for me. Bottom six, yes or no? Yeah, I think so. He did. I think Rewalt's probably jump and agility probably got the better of him, I think, if anything else. But it's pretty hard when you're a defender if your opponent kicks three or four or more, you, you, you're pretty well beaten. And there was one um, absolute stinker of a clanger that he, he it, made yeah. as well. trying to kick it to Tui, was it? Yeah. 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 It wasn't the only clanger in the game. Oh, not at all, but, um, but yeah. yeah, it's just one that's memorable. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a no from me. I thought um, I thought Hendo was pretty good. Um, 
personally. I mean, obviously he was good, but, but I would have probably had another two names below him, if you want me to name them. Yeah. <laughs> I would have... Maybe Parfit, he was okay in the midfield, but um, also Colour Jasny was also playing the same position as Hendo, and I thought he just... He was good too, but I just think he probably had a lesser opponent and probably had just a little bit less statistically than Hendo did. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair as well. Yeah, because I thought yeah, Hendo, Hendo had you know he had the fifteen yeah. touches in the back line and had eight. He led the grant. He led us for rebound fifties. So I just thought, um, you know, have, you know, getting a fair bit of the ball and getting it out of that back line was a good a good effort as well as the um, eight one percenters. Yeah, so Colo, the, the, the five one percenters just to Colo and only the five disposals going along with that a, a clanger or two. So, yeah, that's that's a, a fairly valid point to make. But I will stress again, as we always do, that the, the majority of players that we talk about being in this bottom six category are, for the most part, extremely young first-year players, like the likes of Fogarty, JJ. And we know these boys are listening, so we're not slagging off at you guys. Exactly, yeah. J- Jed Buse is also very young. People forget that. Colin Jasney is very young. People forget that as well. Mm. Uh, Lockie Henderson, who's actually one of my favourites at the club, only back from injury in the last three weeks. Up against the best team in the competition, he'll only get better. And he, last week we were singing his praise. Uh, mm. I, I, yeah, I hate this segment. <laughs> I hate this segment, but we've chosen to do it um, to provide an objective analysis. So it's, I think it's, that's... It's a necessary evil. It's a necessary evil is a good way to put it, maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've, we've hashed out, I guess, the, the Richmond match for a fair bit now. Should we, should we take a break, boys? No worries. Sounds good. Kidney Clowder, back at it. Now, Rich, the, the VFL boys played Richmond on the weekend on Saturday and our young kids got some revenge, did they, against the Tigers? Yeah, we uh, had a very, very good uh, eight-goal win. Or six, six, yeah, no, seven, eight, eight-goal win. Um, Wiley Buzzer, absolute standout, best on ground, kicked the three goals, five tackles. He had 22 touches. Um, the, the big quarter was in the, the second quarter we kicked you know, six goals to two, which really set us up for the rest of the game. Um, so it was it was really good to have the game in in our hands by half time, and really just kept kept the foot down in the second half and kept our lead. So um, yeah, there was a few good players. Um, your man uh, James Parsons was quite good as well. Kicked the two goals and twenty touches. Um, had seven marks as well, which is you know something we haven't really seen from him at AFL level. So hopefully. When he does come back up next year, um, he can translate that. Um, Murdoch was good. Mm-hmm. Had nine, He kicked the one goal, had 19 touches. Chook was very, very good, had 33. I think he was the leading possession getter on the ground as well. Um, Tommy Atkins, mm-hmm. again, standout performance. Zach Smith as well was probably equally as good as Buzzer. He had a really good game in the ruck, had the 51 hitouts and was quite dominant around the ground. He took, you know, he had about 17 touches and eight tackles, which was a really you know, the kind of stuff you look for in, from guys like that in the VFL. 
um, you know, Zach Guthrie was good as well, and so was Aiden Grace, and um, yeah, so it was it was a pretty good performance, and to give uh, Richmond a good toweling up like that after what happened on Friday night was good. Positive signs, positive signs. As we've, we've talked about before in this podcast, just how good a player Tom Atkins is. He's <laughs> I think a jet. Regardless of a VFL level, he, AFL level, he, he should be playing. He's just a jet. He's a gun and a half, isn't he? It just shows uh, that there's competition for spots. You know, when we have both uh, the VFL and AFL playing reasonable football. And I just wanted to shout out to the boys for this weekend. We got the um, seven o'clock game on Saturday night at, at GMHBA Stadium. So if you're around on Saturday night, definitely come back from the G and get down to the Cadinia Park to see uh, us take on Essendon because it's going to be you know a massive game for us. We'll secure our top four for for the season if we can knock off the Dons. Perfect. We'll be there. Get around it, guys. And there's really, really buzzing excitement around this VFL group. In the top three of the competition at the moment, could be a premiership on the way. Could be a double flag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could be a signs of 07, is it? <laughs> but yeah, Charlie Consul, as you've pointed out, Rich Chook got 31 disposals. He 33, yeah. Deleting. 33, was it? He seems to be like a, a leading disposal getter every week. It's Is it unfortunate he hasn't made his debut and it, is it too late this season for him to make his debut given that we we want continuity in the the players, the 22 players playing each week or experienced players playing at this point of the season, which is essentially, as Cam Mooney pointed out, the upcoming match against Hawthorne being an elimination final for the Cats. If you believe that or not. Yeah. I mean, he's only 19. So I think, you know, he's going to get, he's going to get so much confidence having a really good year at the VFL um, level. And then next year he could be definitely in contention to, you know, line up round one, you know, a little bit like Tim Kelly came in last year and, you know, straight in this year and played every game. So no, he'll, he, he'll make it, he'll make it at AFL level, obviously. And he's, he's, he's going to, you know, takes so much out of a full season in the VFL and he'll jump mm. up to the next level next year and hopefully make a big impact. I really like the look of him. Definitely. Mm. He's such a big Wally body Buzzer, as well. You, yeah. You talk about big bodies. Wally Buzzy pointed out had a, had a good game and, and Zach Smith. A position we've struggled with recently is filling that centre-half forward position since... Savarad Galea's injury. While he's come in, had that one match, didn't have the greatest match, um, straight admission back to the VFL. Is there a change made there at centre half forward or do we tinker with there at the moment or do we? Not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if we change it this year, but Wiley has, you know, we, we spoke about this probably a month ago and thought maybe he's not up for this AFL standard, but. People forget how long it takes, you know, for key forwards to develop. And we all saw Tom Hawkins bloom before our eyes in 2011 in the final series. So I think we just got to give these kind of guys time. And I think Buzz is going to be a fantastic player for us. I mean, he's had a, he's actually had a very, very good year in the VFL. So I think, you know, over the next two or three years, I think he's going to really blossom into a, a, a really kind of 
hopefully he can be as good as Cam Mooney, you know, that kind of big presence down forward and plays with the passion. And if he can mm. be, you know, kick his three or four a game, he's going to be absolutely vital for us going forward. But uh, as of this year, I think, you know, our side that we played against Richmond on the weekend, that's as close to what we'll be seeing come finals time. Mm. Yeah. As we've said in previous weeks, the uh, the dynamic duo of Big Sav and Wiley Buzzer is back on the cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Big Rock so... Abbott in the rock. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a theory. Uh, you, you raised James Parsons there, had a decent game in the weekend. James Parsons, before he was drafted, played a lot of games actually down at half-back. Could there be a future for Parsons at half-back rather than up forward with a, a lack of pace compared to Jermaine Jones and other players that we've seen? We saw him in matches, in the, you know, the TAC Cup matches and before that, before he was drafted, playing a half-back role and playing it really well. Well, that's definitely a possibility. If if that's where he played his junior footy, that, then maybe that's where, you know, we've probably got too many backmen. But there might come a time next year where, you know, we get to experiment with that and over the preseason. So he's definitely a kind of player that, you know, he's got that really good footballing kind of body. So, and he's quite a good mark. So hopefully he can turn his career around and really improve as a half backman because we've seen it before with the likes of Liam Jones at Carlton. So, there's no reason to say that he won't make it as a backman. Positive signs from the, the VFL boys on a whole and onwards and upwards to, to hopefully a, a VFL premiership for for our, our youngsters down at the Cattery. And we'll move on to, to shouting out your comments and, and hearing your views. As always, uh, as we pointed out, end of season Cats prizes will be given out for the most frequently engaging or insightful fan comments. So let's... Here's some of your opinions or questions right now. First off, we have Heath Harding says, Firstly, we're not getting enough out of us out of our small thoughts, both with possessions and hitting the scoreboard. Applying pressure and tackling is the one thing they need to do more. Sorely missing a fit McCarthy. Such a different forward line with him there. Secondly, our turnovers seem to be so costly. We were hurt a few times on the turnover, charging forward and having to chase back. He's got in brackets there, low danger. Still needs to lift. Points there, boys. Pressure, tackling pressure, Lincoln McCarthy back into the team and turnovers. He's raised as his main three. We've, we've talked about, I guess, tackling pressure and perceived pressure uh, against Richmond, so we've we've ticked off that one. Lincoln McCarthy, a, a bit of an unknown in terms of his timeline back from injury. I mean, if he's fit, he would be playing. But, you know, it's so unpredictable with him at the moment. Very similar to Cockatoo. Yeah, I don't think he's I don't think he's gonna play before the finals realistically. I mean he'd have to come back to the VFL for a week or two first and he's not even at that stage yet, so might even be pushing him for the rest of the year. Who knows, mm. unfortunately. Mm. We are a bit in the in the unknown regarding McCarthy, like we are regarding Cocky to an extent. We we do know he's out this season, but um yeah. The long-term view is... uh, The the long-term view, yeah. Yeah, it is what we need with with those sorts of players. But, um, but yeah, good comment, Heath. And, yeah, 
very, very valid. Ben Jarman, oh, I love Ben's posts, says, tough loss. I'm sensing some positivity here. He says, tough loss, but I'm so proud of the fight back. Still a chance to make finals and just have to knuckle down and take each week one at a time. Hawks will be tough, but hopefully we can get some strength back with Narkel, Stewart, and Stanley and can get over the line. Go, Cats. Up the Cats. Love love the old cliche, one week at a time. Love the positivity. So just to point out there as well, some midweek injury updates. Tom Stewart likely to be back this week. Tom A.A. Stewart, as we've locked in. Ray Stanley likely to be back this week. Uh, Jed Buse, his injury to his shoulder isn't as serious as it was initially thought, so it could be a week or two out in the sidelines, but not a, a long period. And the big news, the, the large news, is Asava Radigalea is uh, actually back training at the moment. So we don't know his return in terms of a timeline or a week back, but it's fantastic news to see Sav back training with the boys. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, particularly when, you know, some of us, we had really no idea how, what this sort of injury would, would do for the, um, you know, for the remainder remainder of the season or for the better portion of his career, whether it was going to affect him long term. But it seems to be, they seem to be managing it well. Mm. Credit's got to go to the doc and the physios down at the club that manage this one really well. Mm. Steve Esmore raises a great question, Zach. He says, who do you blokes think should go to Bruce if Stewart doesn't get up for Saturday? And will Chris Scott send Scooter Selwood to Tom Mitchell? Um, if it was me, I'd throw a bit of a spanner in the works. I'd send Mark Lixarves to Luke Bruce. I think he's got really? the speed and agility and endurance to go with him, match him in the leap. I think we've got... Collar Jasney and Henderson to go and tailor and rough it. I mean, if need be, you yep. can switch him around, but, you know, give him an opponent that he may not be expecting. Sort of throw throw a bit of the onus back on him. Mm-hmm. And Tom Mitchell, he's got to be tagged. I don't Even teams that don't have an, uh, a recognised tag, a skin, send Scooter onto him, whether you rotate someone else as well, but you've got to put some time into him for sure. Mm-hmm. He, sets up all their plays, a smart player, and he gets the footy. Yeah, I don't think you can just let him run free 44 touches against melbourne on the weekend rich and he's been doing this over over consistently over the season cracking over 40 disposals and his criticism before this season is that he he wasn't using the ball really that effectively but i think all those critiques have just uh, have changed now that he, he is an impact player and he is a quality impact player. The one player that's down or his favourite for the Brownlow, does Scooter would go to Tom Mitchell on the weekend, Rich? Yeah, I think you've got to got to put send Scooter to um to Tom Mitchell. He was best on ground against us last time with the forty touches. He's going to win the Brownlow. He shut if you shut down Tom Mitchell, I mean you, you've gone a long, long way to shutting down Hawthorne as a whole. So just giving him that attention, especially around stoppages and. Just making sure he's not getting forward of center, and you know he's a beautiful kick. So we just want to nullify him as much as possible. And we've got—I think we've got the attack through Tim Kelly, Dangerfield, and Selwood to really trouble Hawthorne. So I'm not too worried. But yeah, we definitely should send Scooter Scooter to Tom Mitchell for the weekend. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, some some great comments and some great feedback we've got out there and keep the comments coming as always uh whether we 
we're able to, to raise them out, whether they, they get out before we do record, um, we, you're still in the running for the end-of-season prizes. So thanks for, your, thanks for your posts and thanks for your comments and thanks for your questions. And as always, keep them flowing in. Moving on. Boris, Corey Enright, bought the, ho- the Geelong Hotel. <laughs> he already owns uh, the Inn, <laughs> a fine establishment in some people's books. Um, making making his ways other than football in, in various, various avenues. Similar to Ling, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, similar to Ling with his uh, his restaurants and establishments all over the place and Brownless owning owning pubs for all around Geelong. So love these they, they love their uh, they love their <laughs> establishments and, and uh, long live the, the Geelong Geelong boys owning owning these these places now the other one during the week and i want to touch on this for literally 10 seconds was tim tim kelly 1.5 million three-year reported offer from west coast reported by john ralph now there's reports saying that talks would be on hold until the end of the season uh is that a is that a duh i think that's uh, yeah <laughs> i think that's somewhat obvious yeah um, can we can we put that to get to death? We're not going to talk about Tim yeah, Kelly. It's now. been it's been it has been done to death. Thank you. Um, previewing Hawthorne, I guess we'll move on to now, and a, a tough opposition whether Hawthorne are in the running for a premiership one year or whether they're down in the latter one year. Geelong Hawthorne fixtures just seem to always go down to the wire. Two clubs that for over a decade now have been the the top end of the ladder and consistently around about there. How do we see this one playing out, regardless of predictions, which we'll get to a bit later on? But following on from Steve's comments there, if we do tag Tom Mitchell, if we do tag Titch, does that open the field for Yago Mira to, to have a bit of a, a field day or some others? Or we, we don't worry about that too much? I don't worry about it too much. I just think we... Back our game plan, you know, I really hope we play a similar style to what we do against Richmond. I mean, if we can score that well against Richmond, Hawthorne, probably a lesser quality team at the moment. I think we can really open them up, and I think we got the quality in the middle and up forward to be a handful for them. Mm. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough given the you know long term rivalry between these two clubs, but. Yeah, back them in after uh, we we got within a kick of the reigning premiers, so we're we're definitely a chance of um of winning this week. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're a better team on than them on paper and on recent form as well. They they nearly lost what was it on the weekend to to Essen by a goal. Yeah, we nearly eclipsed the reigning premiers in the best team in competition by a goal. Mm. Shows it right there. And question is is Gonna make his return this week via the VFL, but Mac McKnight asks: With the current team that we have, is there room for Harry, Harry Taylor in defence still? He loves him as a player. Yes. Obviously, out of the, the contention for the Hawthorne match, but down the line, come finals, definitely. Yeah, sure. I think you've made the point in, in previous weeks. Uh, you play your experienced players in their preferred positions come finals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How do you see this one playing out, Rich? Is it going to be a, a midfield battle? Last time we played them in round two, we, we didn't have a lot of the players that we will have in this fixture, like the likes of Scooter Selwood, 
Um, I think Stanley wasn't Henderson. playing. Hendo as well, a huge, massive in as well. Um, how, do we, how do you see this playing out? Well, Belt Hawthorne, they're no good. That's <laughs> that's the uh, short answer. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think um, I think our yeah, I think Hawkins is in a lot better form now. I think we're just gelling a lot better as a team, and you know, our midfield started to play well the last you know last couple of weeks. So I think we're really gonna. I don't know if we'll be ex- experimental this week, but I think we just want to keep going how we've been going, and I'm sure it'll be a tough game. You know, it's always hard playing against Alistair Clarkson, but. I think we'll be up to the challenge and I think we should, um, you know, hopefully it doesn't go down to the wire and hopefully we get, you know, a bit of percentage back on them because, you know, they've done well to get in front of our percentage the last month or so. Yeah, exactly. If we, yeah. If we play direct, you know, we'll, we'll do well. Well, is that is that the only option to, to play direct, Zach? Is, no, is that, is that the, the way option, to go? I think it'll be most beneficial for us if we do play that way. And yep. percentage has really hurt us. That's what's kept us out of the eight. You know, Hawthorne have had a more favourable one. They've played Carlton and Fremantle. We get two really good swings at it after this game. So I think we need to go all out and attack. Tony Wolseley, following that direct comment you've made, raises a, a great question. He's he said... It has annoyed me um, recently, especially in the past three seasons, that the Cats players opt more than other sides to take the ball into their breadbasket at almost all opportunities instead of keeping the ball out of their hands. It annoys me as it hinders fast ball movement, but recently I've been advised it's a deliberate ingredient of a calculated slow play strategy. Is this true? The delay, you know, the probably the uh, the slow build-up style play. Um, you know, calculated kicks, trying to spot up your targets rather than a run-and-gun tsunami football running in waves. But I think traditionally Geelong Highway, corridor-style football, run-and-carry, that's our go. Yeah, yeah. As, uh, as Jeff Lynch says, the, the highway strategy, which I love, yeah. So I <laughs> love that analogy there. But, um, yeah, it will be interesting. Whether it, it it is essentially one in the in the center of the park, uh, we saw Ben McAvoy had a great game against us at round two. Reece Stanley, assuming he's back in in uh, back for the match on the weekend as he should be, with great form coming in from Reece in the past six seven weeks now. The one uh, point not of concern but of highlight for Hawthorne is the the second string forwards being. Uh, Bruce, Gunston, Popolo, who are, to their credit, very, very good players, especially Luke Bruce this season. Yeah, definitely. I think Luke Bruce, the danger one, he's had a great season. He'd be in all-Australian contention for sure. He just pops up and kicks bags, so we should be putting a lot of time into him, I would imagine. He's mm. uh, top five in the Coleman, is he? Yeah. He's kicked a lot of goals. Yeah. Smart player. Yep. Some good uh, young players come through as well, James Warple and um, Ryan the Birdman Burton down the back. So they they do, similar to Geelong, over a decade now of being roundabouts at the top of the league and showcasing that and continuing to develop good young players. So a bit less thrash, less thrash, less thrash on the weekend, let's yeah. be real. This is Geelong v Hawthorne rivalry. Yeah. We also, yeah, want, we also want we also want Hawkins yeah, to much. kick a bag so that he can win the common medal for the first time. 
Exactly. Yeah, ben Brown, he's coming for you. <laughs> yeah, but Ben Brown also has a pretty soft fixture. Um, you know, he's got the dogs yeah. this week and then St Kilda in the last round and St Kilda, we all know what St Kilda are. So I'm not going to get into it, bro. Mm. You know how much I hate St Kilda. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Griff and uh, Nick Packer, if you're listening. Yeah. Um, hopefully uh, four points on the weekend, boys, and... Hopefully, some good things to talk about next week. Um, if I can just quote Chris Scott here, we'll just win every game we play. That's our plan. If we lose it, being Hawthorne, we'll just win the next two, or hopefully the next six. And that's the mentality <laughs> hey. that Cats have to go in with. See if things turn out the way we want. But finally, our upcoming prediction and Cloud of Cat of the Week, as always, we'll do this quickly. Oh, your Cloud of Cat of the Week for the weekend. Joel Selwood. Joel Selwood will be your gladder category week, meaning your player that will have the most promising match or the most influential match from the weekend, uh, your margin of the weekend. 12 points to Geelong. 12 points, conservative as always. Uh, from conservative to optimistic, Zach, your gladder and your margin. I'll go Mark Blixar's for gladder of the week and we'll have a six-goal win. I like it. I, I really like that. Rich? Five goal win, Gary Ablett Jr. Best on ground. Ooh, I like it. I like it a lot. I'll say thirty points. I'll go thirty-one, and I'll go Tom Hawkins. Kick a bag. I hope he kicks ten. <laughs> Cohen on the way. Well, cheers, boys. Um, it's been it's been good talking. It's been interesting conversations and some yeah. at times some disagreements but some valid ones too so cheers guys and hopefully some four points and some good percentage boost at the end there no worries no worries man Go my love tatties. my love for the cats outweighs my hate for the hawks can cats kidney <laughs> <laughs> cloudy cheers guys